feel like sometimes life is really mental. Dude, that's actually a really good name for a podcast. <laughs> if you love that person and they want to go do different things, let them do that. That is their story. It is not ours to control. A lot of the suffering that comes from losing those relationships is kind of self-inflicted because we're holding on to something that is not ours to own. Our relationships are not for us to manipulate. Hey everyone, welcome to Really Mental, where we want you to know that no matter who you are, you're not alone. If you're new to this podcast, welcome and make sure to follow us and rate this episode five stars if you enjoy it. You can find us anywhere at Really Mental Media and we would love to hear from you and hear your stories. Today we have an amazing guest, Quinlan Walther. Really excited for this episode and we speak a lot about loneliness, becoming your best friend and also navigating your feelings, which as I'm sure you know already, growing up can be really tough and trying to navigate your feelings is just another thing to try and do. So really excited for this episode and to get Quinlan's thoughts on building better connections with others. Without further ado, we're going to welcome Quinlan onto the show. And I wanted to mention that we usually have Harrison joining us, but unfortunately he is away. So he won't be here for this episode, but he'll be back soon. All right, let's get into it. So thank you for joining us, Q. Really excited to have this chat today and get into relationships and everything that comes with it, including people pleasing, codependency, all these terms that you're going to help us break down. And we're grateful to have you. So can you please start off by telling us a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. Yeah. So I am a self-development coach and my work primarily, primarily focuses on people who realize that they have a decent level of self-awareness and they just can't figure out why they are so self-aware and yet so stuck. And mm. it's what I find most often what I have lived myself is, you know, I could answer every why, why I had the trauma that I had or why I had the behaviors that I had, the, the patterns and all the things, but I couldn't figure out how to actually overcome them. I was intellectualizing a lot of, a lot of feelings and you can't think your way out of a feeling problem, right? So through, through my career, through, through a whole bunch of twists and turns, I, I arrived here. Wow. I'm sure it must be very fulfilling to help people with that journey. When you talk about intellectualizing feelings, can you please explain what you mean by that? Yeah, absolutely. So a lot of the times it's, it's common with, let's start with just something like anxiety. A lot of people have, have felt anxious. They, they know that anxiety is a common pattern for them and they think that if they can just figure out how to set up their life in a way to avoid all of the things their anxiety is concerned about, they'll be able to dodge the anxiety. And right. So if, if I can create a plan, if I can rationalize why I feel this way, then I can somehow create a strategy to avoid it. And as many people with anxiety know, even if you have a hundred different game plans, that anxiety is still living. It's still, it's still heavy. It still feels icky. It still weighs on you because at the heart of it, we've intellectualized a feeling. And that feeling is more so the fear, the fear of unknown, the fear of not being able to trust ourselves if difficult things do arise. So to kind of summarize, we, we intellectualize a game plan to protect ourselves rather than realizing we just have to work on holding the big feeling of anxiety. 
Oh, yeah, I've been saying, I love that. And I love that you point that out because I've been saying that the things that we run away from hold the areas of the most growth. Would you say that intellectualizing your feelings is also similar to like trying to avoid facing them and all of the pain? 100%, 100%. And I love how you broke that down too, because a lot of the time, and I showed up to therapy with the same question years and years and years ago, which was, how do I get over this? Like, I, I want to get over the anxiety or over the sadness or over the grief. And the reality is we can't get over it. We have to let it in. It's at the heart of it. We're, we're so averse to these big feelings that we'll do anything that we can to think our way out of actually having to feel them. I, I would say I've learned that recently, even just with loneliness. Mm -hmm. I think that's some of the things that I would do to like, feel like that gap I started to recognize that I was always trying to like reach for something when I would feel that and it's funny because some of those feelings you know when you intellectualize it it's like well I'm not alone like I have people around but that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm free from like those feelings you have to just accept and be aware of like that's what it is and and sometimes it's enough like to just have that awareness and, and stop those habits what would be the top three things that people can start to do to, I guess, accept how they feel and where they're at with their life? I think it would depend on what someone's struggling with. And I like that you bring up loneliness. I also think that's what's really common. I know I've had a good bout of loneliness, still do sometimes. And there's, so we can use that for an example, because typically loneliness is either a, a lack of connection to others, right? That's as many of us know, but also a lack of connection to ourselves. So I, I would check on both of those things. Mm. I, I would tap in and check in. Uh, this ties in a lot with, with codependence and people pleasing where we're so used to checking in with others. Is everyone else happy with us? Does everyone else think of us highly? Is that, does everyone else see us in a good light that we don't stop and ask ourselves if, do we feel okay? Are our needs being met? Are we doing things that we enjoy? Are we building a life that we really want independent of what anyone else might think? So the first thing that I would do is stop and, and check in with yourself. Like have, have a really honest conversation. Hey, are we missing anything? Are you happy? Are you sad? Yeah. What are you actually feeling outside of just this lack of connection that we call loneliness? The next step from there, I would say, is to meet whatever answers you find with warmth. Like mm -hmm. a lot, right? A lot of times we might get those answers and we start to shame ourselves. Like, oh, you shouldn't want that or you shouldn't be complaining about that or you shouldn't feel that way. And right, and we stuff it back down and down it goes back into the unconscious and, and boils from there. So instead of shaming whatever comes up, care for yourself. Like talk to yourself as if you're your own best friend. Hey, you, you deserve that. It, it's normal for you to feel that way. That makes perfect sense. And thirdly, do something about it. You have autonomy. You have agency. You can get up and do anything that you want. Start to build a life that you want. Start to act differently. Start to speak differently. Start to, to make different friends, to have different habits and hobbies at any point in time. So if there's something that you're feeling called to, something that you want, something that you want to implement, the last thing I would say is move forward, apply action. I love a couple of those things there. I think focusing on like what steps you have to take next so that you don't wallow in this period of, you know, we hear of people going through depression 
and feeling like they're in the same place for a, a few years. And as someone that's been through depression, I would say the hardest thing is not taking like actionable steps to try and tangibly change your situation in your current yeah. in your present moment. How do you actually go in and be your best friend day to day? What does that look like? I love how you phrase that. I love the honesty there. That is so real, right? Like, of course I want that, but how the hell, what does that actually look like? How the hell do we do that? For me, when I was in a similar boat, just struggling with depression and anxiety and absolutely hating, trying to hate myself into changing. My own worst critic, picking myself apart. I couldn't do anything right. I was a failure in everything. Just constant anger and criticism. And something that really helped me was diving into what we call parts work, which is accepting that we have different narratives, different parts of us that are running through our minds all the time, right? We, we can tap into that voice that wants to be super positive and thinks that we're the greatest thing ever and we can accomplish anything, right? Like that voice is there. It might be really quiet, but that voice is there. The louder voice may be the voice of, of depression or anxiety that's saying, no, you can't do this. You'll fail. You'll embarrass yourself. You'll be rejected. You don't have the energy. You don't have the time, right? We could go, you can go deep, deep, deep down that rabbit hole. But the first thing for me was accepting that both parts of me exist, that there are a number of different voices, a number of different dialogues in my head, and we all have them. I get to decide which one I want to lean into more. I may have a default voice of criticism and, and aggression and negativity, and that's a part that needs the more positive part to show up. That there's something in that negative part that is scared, that is fearful of something tragic happening, being alone, being abandoned, not having support. Like there's real fears behind that negative voice. So the first thing I would recommend is letting that part be heard. Like, what are those fears? What are we scared of? Why can't we be our best friends? What, what about us is so flawed or is so bad that we can't accept love and support even from ourselves. Like we have to tap into that voice. And then we get to say, okay, what can I also hold in tandem with this, with this negativity? Well, there's the mm -hmm. positive part that says you deserve love. We want to better this situation. How do we do that? Like, let's do it together. So powerful. That's so powerful. <laughs> I really relate to the two voices. And sometimes I'm like, it's taking me a minute to understand my triggers. So how do you, at the start, break through that almost back and forth in your mind of like which one you should lean into and trust? This is where some like inner child work usually comes into play. Like that scared yeah. part of us was a much more vulnerable, much younger part who was truly scared. And then yeah. right, we carry these fears and these beliefs. There was a moment for me where I... and. To, to get personal, maybe yeah. someone can relate. Hopefully someone can relate. But I struggled with an eating disorder. I was bulimic mm. for, I mean, it's probably started in middle school and lasted into my early 20s-ish. And for anyone who's struggled with disordered eating, it just consumes you. It, yeah. It's an addiction that you have to face every single day because we all have to eat, right? It's a constant terror as you're, as you're really in the thick of it. And I remember 
basically hitting my rock bottom, as you're explaining, where I was basically getting ready to go binge. I was going to go buy a bunch of food and eat it and throw it up like I had done a zillion times before. And I was bawling in the car before going into the grocery store, like knowing the impending doom of what was about to come. Like it was going to feel really good for 20 minutes and then I was going to hate myself and I'd have to wake up tomorrow knowing what I was going to do. Right. And I, I had this moment of clarity with myself where I said, what do you actually want here? What are you afraid of? And what, like, what are you trying to avoid? What do you want to feel? Right. A, a lot of questions that I had never actually been able to face before. And there was one answer that popped up for me and it was, I want to feel held. Like I want to feel full if you will, right? Which eating a fuck ton of food, you feel really full and then you feel disgusting. So I went home and I cried and I cried and I cried and I sat in a bath and I hugged myself. Like I did as much as I could to like really ground myself in my body. And it was basically that day. It wasn't perfect, but it was that day that I started looking at my eating disorder very differently. I looked at it as a sign, like a message from from my unconscious that I I wanted something so deeply and I wasn't paying attention to what it actually was wow. and how to go from there. <laughs> it's fascinating to hear you speak about that of like, it's also changing a habit, right? Which is yeah. incredibly difficult when you don't line it up with the right purpose and motivation. I'll, I guess, connect with what your story with another one, which is like, you know, getting through like a breakup, for instance, or something, I literally was using like a rubber band. It's like every time I had a thought of that person, I'd use a rubber band. And it did not help at all because maybe it does for some people. I saw a song written about it. So I was like, I'm just going to try it. Someone played me Tate McRae, rubber band. I was like, I'm going to try it. And it didn't work. But I've realized looking back from that journey that like I hadn't connected I guess the right purpose behind the actions that yeah. I was taking. And yeah, I feel like when you reframe that and really dig deep, that's when you can actually make real change because you can understand what's happening, right? And like, as you were describing that, I was thinking about how it's such a fine line in life between clarity and chaotic. It's so easy to, to slide between those two extremes when we don't understand some of the things that drive our behavior or what we're holding inside. How have you cultivated, and I guess cultivated in clients you work with, this idea and importance of reflection and, and introspection to see actually what's happening? Huge, huge, especially when it comes to relationships. When, we're, when people are struggling with a lack of self, lack of self-concept, struggling with self-image, we, we often see codependent behavior that comes with it. Codependent behavior basically says, I'm going to make sure that you're okay so that I can feel okay because then everything will, will be fine and you won't leave me. So yep. let me tend to every problem. Let me anticipate every problem. Let me just tend to you and you and you and you. And I'll just pretend like I don't need anything else. Like I, I'm not even here. I'm just going to tend to you and maintain this connection. So that becomes a problem because then we do lack that introspection. We don't stop and say, does this actually feel good for me? Do I like 
this hypervigilance of always watching my back and, and seeing if you're okay or if you're upset with me, right? Do I, do I like this, these anxious racing thoughts of that, that fight we had last night? Are they still upset about it? Are they going to bring it up? Are they going to leave because of it? Did I, right? We just, we, we roll with it. It turns into, it turns into an avalanche. Now, the funny thing about these relationships and talking about chaos specifically is that if we don't stop for a moment and check in on what our relationship patterns are, we will mm. continue to recreate the same experiences that we associate with relationships. And if chaos is one of those things, then we will go from relationship to relationship to relationship looking for more chaos, more chaos, more chaos. Can I, wow. can I appease this person? Can I appease that person? Do they love me? Do they accept me? Do they validate me? And it becomes more of a, a pattern of recreation than it does actually honoring what we want our relationships to feel like. So if we're used to relationships being chaotic all the time, working for love, you know, the emotional monitoring, the hypervigilance, kind of walking on eggshells, love bombing. If we're used to all of those things, when we meet someone who is consistent and reliable and kind and doesn't play the games, doesn't do the bullshit, we're like, whoa. Whoa, 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 whoa. I don't like this. This is boring or this isn't love or there's something wrong here. Let me blow it up. Right? So without the introspection, we will continue to recreate similar scenarios, not necessarily scenarios or relationships that we actually want. Wow. Damn, that's a truth. That's a truth bomb right there. That's explosions. Fire, fire sounds. <laughs> I got I gotta figure out how to shorten that explanation, but yeah. <laughs> no, that was perfect. How do codependent relationships impact the two people's mental health? Well, typically it goes one of two ways. If we are codependent, meaning we need other people around us to reflect back to us who we are and what what mm. values we hold. If we find someone who is also codependent, then it turns into like a sick little cycle of I'm going to validate you and then invalidate you. And it's, it becomes quite chaotic if, if those patterns remain unchecked. Or we get into the scenario where one person is more codependent and the other person is not. And so the constant checking in, the constant need for reassurance and validation and, and all of this anxiety is almost a turnoff to the person who is a bit more stable and a bit more secure that can lead to the more stable person pushing away and the codependent getting deeper and deeper into their own rumination. When we're both codependent, sometimes we bring each other down, right? It's, it, it, we lose our sense of self and we really just morph into like this one energetic being where no one is really being true to themselves. They're kind of manipulating the other person for the period of time so they feel good. Damn. It's really interesting because it's so easy, I think, to find yourself like just falling into that maybe, especially if you do have tendencies like people pleasing, maybe you're more empathetic, which I guess in that, like in standalone does not seem like such a harmful thing. You know, it seems like a good thing. We look at that as a good thing. You're empathetic. You're, you know, everyone loves you, but you can see in like relationships how that can like, I guess actually play into an unhealthy dynamic. How do you know yeah. when you're in a codependent relationship and if you're in one and identify it as one, 
is it possible to transform it into something better or do you have to remove yourself from it to work on yourself? No, absolutely. You, you can absolutely work on it as long as both people want to, as long as both people want to be aware of their part in the dynamic. One good way to test whether or not you're, you have codependent tendencies is to evaluate how you handle conflict. If mm. your partner is upset with you, what is your first reaction? What is your, what is your response? Do you get anxious? Do you, do you get hot and, and maybe angry or flighty? Or do you feel the need to pounce right away right. to fix it? Can you hold the discomfort of conflict trusting that you can come to it and sort it out and resolve it? Or do you view conflict as, it, as an imminent threat? Mm. which says, right, like, I, I need to fix it for them. They have to be happy with me. They, if, if they're upset, they're going to leave, and then I'm going wow. to be all alone. I wow. want you to check in for anyone who's listening. If, if you do this test, think about your partner being upset with you. Can you sit in that discomfort and meet them halfway, or do you want to go zero to 100 all by yourself? Wow, that is powerful, and that's as you were saying, something that you can easily uh, do in, in action naturally when conflict comes yeah. up, like in any relationship. I feel like one of the, the tough things is like when you, maybe you're in a place where you can't hold that, that space for that person or, or like, you know, when they're angry at you, et cetera, like shifting that habit and actually turning it into like being able to hold it what are some of the things that people can do to be more secure in their attachment and actually like tangibly practice outside of the conflict? I think one, one place to start that, that I really enjoy is asking yourself what your ideal self would do. Like if, if I were watching myself in a movie right now, how would I want my character to handle this? And that doesn't mean that we can do it right away. <laughs> Please don't, yeah. no one think that you're expected to handle it perfectly. But that's a good starting ground because it can highlight different behavior patterns that may not be suiting us, that, that may not align with, with how we really want to behave and who we really want to be. Yeah. And, and to tie in your question before, which was, you know, can two people improve on this? One thing that really has to happen is number one, accountability that says, okay, I want to fix this problem for you, but I'm not going to do that because you have your own voice. You get to communicate your feelings. I can hear your feelings and make sense of the conflict without it meaning that I'm a bad person, right? And we, that could be a two-way street. And then, and then we get to say, here is what I would like as we repair this. Like I need, if you're upset with me, and I'm hearing that you're upset with me and we've sorted out the details, I can say, hey, I'm really sorry that I hurt your feelings. I really need a hug right now. Like, I need you to tell me that you still love me and you, you know that my intentions weren't bad. Like, can you do that for me? And then boom, we go 50-50 and we repair the conflict. Wow, okay, that's awesome. That is helpful. As I'm hearing some of this, I'm like thinking to myself of how it's sometimes difficult to be the villain in someone else's story. You posted this on the social media. And this is why I also think getting out of a codependent relationship is so hard because even for me and maybe for the person listening, like they hate the concept of like 
being hated by that person. And I can resonate with that. Like, I think sometimes it can make it easier in some instances, right? Because it's like, you have like a clear cut, but it's incredibly difficult for me to accept that someone else like may never want to hear from me again as a result of taking actions to like, I guess, do what's right for my heart and my next step in growing. And of course you have to be respectful. And so we're not saying, you know, blowing everything up. You have to try and be respectful. But how do you accept like being the villain in someone else's story when you are trying to exit a relationship and maybe you can't reach that agreement through like navigating the conflict? Well, first and foremost, accepting that this relationship, the dynamic is not in your best interest or theirs. Not, neither of you are actually getting the relationship that you want in, in this dynamic, right? I, I can't think of, of any circumstances with myself or with clients where we're in this, this codependent muck and one person is really happy. They're, this is like their ideal relationship. And then the other one is really miserable. Usually both people are like aren't, aren't stoked about it. And the second thing is remembering where you have control. Truly, you, you can't change their opinion of you. You, and to be honest, the only reason that we would want to change their opinion of us is so that we feel better about ourselves, right? It's, it's, it's like, okay, if I, if, and with that, if I want to feel better about myself and I know that I can't change their opinion, then what do I have to do? I have to be the person that I want to be. I have to make decisions from my morals, from my values in my own best interest, right? Like we have to make sure that our intentions are pure. And if your intentions are good, then you are far more likely to feel good about yourself than you are trying to go and change someone else's opinion of the situation, right? It's kind of like ask yourself which strategy is actually going to get you the result that you want is, is the ultimate question. I think that's really powerful. I think the only other blocker I can think of for some people could be the, the fantasies they have of what it could be like in the future. When do you know the point where you just have to exit a relationship because it's not healthy? That's a really good question. And I, I don't think there's necessarily a uniform answer. I would have to say if you're, if you're playing back that movie, that movie of your life, yeah. is this a relationship that you would want to play out in that storyline? Is, is this relationship serving the you at the end of this story? Yeah. Is it helping you become the character that you really want to be? Is it energizing you? Are, are you spending more time trying to patch the holes in this relationship than you are actually growing with it? Or yeah. are we just kind of like doggy paddling, trying to catch our breath? There's, if we're talking romantic relationships too, my, my biggest recommendation when we enter into a relationship is getting crystal clear on what the fuck your vision of the future is. Like, what do you actually want out of life? What do you want your relationship to look like, to feel like? Where do you want to be in five years, in 10 years? And yes, these answers may change, but if those yeah. things don't align, take that, believe that, <laughs> and do yourselves, do yourselves the favor of calling it before you get in too yeah, deep in the emotions muck it all up. That's really interesting because, and I know I keep saying that, but every time we hop on, it's always a different subject. And like, this one is just one that actually genuinely is like fascinating to me and like exploring. 
So you're going to hear that a lot more for the rest of our chat as well. When I think of like, you know, even like losing a best friend or something, because obviously it's not just romantic we're talking about. So whether it's, it's romantic or losing a best friend, I feel like no one wants to go through that pain a bunch, right? And, and no one wants to like go through that continuously. So I feel like picking up on like, what are the things you can do to align and, and sync up with a future that is going to be a good partnership with another person is like so key. And I would say one of the toughest things about that and considering that a lot of people that, you know, we listen to our stuff are Gen Z. The trouble with that is people are still growing themselves. So sometimes people don't even know the future that they want or it's year on year changing. And I can give mm-hmm. a personal um, example of like, I did not anticipate to be doing the things that I'm going to be doing in 2024 at the start of 2023. And so my own, well, directionally I'm running to the field. I, I know roughly where I'm running to. It's like continually like building and evolving And I see that even more sometimes with like people, you know, coming out of college where that world and that North Star is just not built at all. So how do you sift through that? Does that mean the relationship is not for you at that point? Because that person doesn't know what their future looks like? I think it's, I think there's a different set of rules, if you will, when we're talking about platonic relationships, if we're just talking about friendships, because we're not necessarily creating a life together right we're not we're not building this <laughs> yeah. future as as intimately but i love maybe we point. stick to romantic well i like this because i i think the same lesson applies in all relationships honestly which is check your expectations uh-huh. like if you love that person if they're your best friend and they they want to shift course they want to go do different things they they change characteristics about themselves, their interests, whatever, let them do that. Like that is their story. It is not ours to control. And a lot of the suffering that comes from losing those relationships is kind of self-inflicted because we're holding on to something that is not ours to own. Our relationships are not for us to manipulate, right? It's not ownership. It is, I love you as a person. You're amazing. And I want you to be all that you want to be. And if that means less of me in your life, I love you enough to go be that person by all means. And if we can adopt that perspective, there's a lot less suffering in, in the inevitable pain, inevitable pain of losing a best friend. Like it's going to hurt, but it, we don't necessarily have to suffer in it if we can see that that is their choice and we don't get to dictate their choices. I think so much in in other relationships, we're looking for how we can make them more like us. Yes. How it can serve us. What is best for us? What feels good for us? Yeah. And as soon as it like steps out of line with that, it's almost like it, it's sometimes difficult. It makes you want to control and, and be like, oh, well, you should do this because this is how I'm doing it. And I think that's probably refers back to that codependent part of it where it's like they don't have like that's their own garden to like to fix and work on and I guess like would you say that like part of being in a healthy relationship is being clear on when you are like pouring into it whether it's something that your partner needs yeah and that's that's a big part of the codependent dynamic with friends or with romantic partners which is saying I need you to be here because I don't know 
how to be by myself. Like, I don't know how to feel good about myself. I don't know how to feel safe. I don't know how to feel loved and connected unless this relationship stays exactly where it is. And Mm. when we operate from that standpoint, of course, it's difficult to let friends go. And of course, it keeps us in a space where we want to tend to our partner's needs. We want to pour out of our cup and pour out of our cup to make sure that don't we don't give them a reason to to want to leave the co-creation aspect there is it's it it requires accountability because it's going to say i'm going to make sure that i build a life that i love i'm going to do the best that i can to fill my needs i'm going to trust that you can do the same and i'm going to be here to help you and support you while we do this thing together it's not let me do all of it for you it's I'm going to help and love and support you along the way. Wow, that's <laughs> healthy. That's much more secure than to control someone else. What are some of the things that you think people should be thinking about before they make the decision to go like, okay, I, I'm ready to hop into like being with someone else and being there for someone else? Make sure that you're not deciding to like someone before you actually know them. Make sure that you are not showing up to those first few dates, that first month or two with your rose-colored glasses on, deciding that because this person is really hot or really funny or really charming or has a lot of money or has a lot of friends or is really cool, that's great, but that fades and that doesn't actually build a sustainable, fulfilling relationship. So... Let yourself learn who the person is. Like, what is their character? Like, how do they treat you? How do they actually make you feel? Are their words aligning with their actions? Do you laugh at their jokes? Do they laugh at yours? Do they want to get to know you the same way that you're genuinely trying to get to know them? These are much, much more important questions than oh my God, they're the hottest person I've ever seen. Or, oh my gosh, they are so cool. They have a big following or they dated the hottest person in town. Like choose what kind of relationship you want because there's two different sets of questions that come with that answer. (laughs) There's so much peace that comes from just being like, I'm just gonna, we'll see. It's almost like we'll see. Like we'll see what happens and who this person is. And like not trying to get people to fit a box of like, oh, like I can see this future with them. So I guess to wrap things up and and head towards the end, which I'm sad, but it's gone so fast. I wanted to ask you when it comes to elevating your self-worth, your self-esteem, how do you go about doing that? Self-worth, the best way that this was explained to me, and I use it all the time now, is you build self-worth by valuing your own internal experience. You build self-worth by doing things that make you feel good. And I mean good like longer term. The thing about self-worth is if you're making decisions that only feel good right now, that only feel good in this second, that instant validation, it's not actually valuing the way that you should value yourself which is, is this good for the person that I want to be? Does, does this make me feel good outside of just this 10 minute period or whatever it may be? And realizing the places where you are not doing that, where you're not showing up for yourself, whether it be bad relationships, toxic relationship dynamics, whether it be friends that you're hanging around who are more negative and, and pessimistic than anything else, 
whether it's appeasing your parents all the time, living your life based on what they want you to be and who they think that you should become, like get really clear around where you are abandoning your own internal experience and start to piece that puzzle back together little by little. How do you find peace within yourself while being in a toxic relationship? Get out, get <laughs> out, get out. I know that's not the actual answer to your question, but big eyed, wide eyed, red flag. I think the thing is you can start finding peace in a toxic relationship by realizing that it is not actually creating the relationship that you want. Like accepting that the reality of what you're in, not the fantasy, not the potential, not, you know, the, the few good times that then come with super low lows, like the reality of the relationship that you're in is not what you actually want. And when you really start to believe that and you can see that the daydream in your head is not real life, then you're more likely to get up and leave. So true. It's been amazing to hear you talk about everything today. And you've definitely left me with some things to go and reflect on too. So thank you for that. This is also like therapy for me and hopefully for the person listening, it's like therapy for them as well. For people that would like to see you and see your content, potentially get help from you, where should they go and do that? Instagram is the best bet. So at Quinlan Walther, Q-U-I-N-L-A-N-W-A-L-T-H-E-R. And through Instagram, you can find my website, my application to work one-on-one. I'm rolling out more group workshops and, and masterclasses, which have been so much fun. I have a few one-off resources too, one emotionally unavailable, emotional unavailability workbook, things like that, little replays of classes. So there's some good stuff that, that we're building over there, but Instagram will be the best place to connect with all that. Awesome. Well, excited to keep seeing your content. And I'll be sure to keep taking it in, everything you're saying, just like the villain one. I love that. So make sure you go check out Q's content. And if you've enjoyed this conversation as well, then definitely consider potentially getting some one-on-one coaching because that could be super beneficial. Thank you so much for having me. It's been such a joy to get to chat with you. I appreciate it. Okay, so thank you so much for listening this far to our episode with Quinlan. I hope you really enjoyed it. And if you did, make sure you send it to someone you love that you think it could help. Definitely one of the things that I took away is just reminding ourselves to create a life that is independent of what other people think. And meeting any of our answers that we have or thoughts with more warmth so that we can be better friends to ourselves, which is something that I feel we probably all need to hear, especially with how critical we can be to ourselves. So I really hope you enjoyed this episode and found it helpful. Make sure you follow us on our socials at Really Mental Media, and we would love to hear from you. And we look forward to seeing you next week and have an amazing week. Lots of love.